today you have to grade the site, you've got to pour concrete, then you build on top of it. Well, modular construction, you can start building before the you know, site is even prepared. You can work in parallel. So site preparation and construction of the building happen in parallel. You also are working in a perfect controlled environment, ideal working conditions where, you know, your tools are right there, the equipment's right there, your materials are right there under a roof so your wood's not getting wet, your equipment's not getting packed, it doesn't have to get packed up in your truck and transported every day back and forth. Welcome to another episode of the Next Generation Design Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Piper. In this episode, you'll hear the conclusion of our three-part series with Derek England, an ex-product manager for AEC and BIM at Siemens Digital Industries Software. In our final chat with Derek, we're discussing modular design and the trends, implications, and solutions it may hold. Derek, before we begin today, could you do a reintroduction of yourself to the audience? Uh, I'm Derek England. I'm the NX product manager for AEC and BIM at Siemens Digital Industries Software. I've worked in this industry for about 25 years. I've had the opportunity and, and pleasure to work with some of the most innovative companies in the world and understanding their workflows. You know, I've had a small part in helping them achieve some of their productivity goals. And so as the product manager, it's my job to make sure that we understand these workflows and enhance our product to help our customers achieve their their high productivity goals. Thank you for joining us once again for our three-part series. In part one, we covered trends in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry, as well as what still needs to be done to improve tech integration in that space. In part two, we discussed the benefits of collaboration using multidiscipline building information modeling tools in the AEC market. Today, we'll be talking about modular design. Derek, could you give us a bit of an overview on the topic? So modular design, it's been in the news a lot recently, at least in my world, <laughs> it's been in the world a lot. And when you first tell people about modular design, they kind of kind of give you that that look, you know, that's kind of like, oh, you know, there's a stigma associated with prefabricated buildings. You know, most people equate prefabrication as like as modular uh, mobile homes, you know, like my grandparents lived in. But, uh, you know, you don't hook it up to a truck and, and pull modular homes. You know, it's different than that. And when you see some of the prefabricated homes and offices and buildings and hotels like being built in like Europe, you know, they're beautiful. And there's a lot of economic and sustainability drivers that are putting pressure on the construction companies to embrace modular construction. And today I want to talk about some of these trends and implications and possibilities and solutions for this space. As you said, the term modular design often has a stigma attached to it. Can you break down the term a little bit more and give us some background on the concept? Traditional methods is, is like stick build is kind of what you refer to. It's like you pour a foundation, you build up, you know, the walls and you build on a roof. And that's the traditional ways. So modular construction is when you construct an, a building offsite in a factory setting. You know, it's the same way you would build like a, a plane or a train or an automobile or, you know, machinery. You know, you build it in a factory. Modular buildings still are built using the same materials and they adhere to the same building codes. 
they still have to get permitted and approved. So it's similar, but you know, you build them in a factory and then you transport them on a, you know, like a truck or in a boat, and then they get assembled on site using cranes. Kind of like Lego bricks, just stacking them up next to each other and you kind of connect them together. And it seems like that setup would also be a much more efficient way of doing those things. So what makes modular construction so appealing to customers? What are some factors that might lead a customer to choose it over traditional construction? There's a lot of reasons why. A key one is just reduction in the, the labor force, right? What some of the you know analysts have found is that for every two people that are retiring in the construction industry, only one re-enters the workforce. For years and years, you know, we've been telling kids, you need to go to college, you need to go to college. And Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, he uh, is a big proponent of this. And he says, we've elevated the importance of higher education to such lofty perch that construction jobs are seen as vocational consolation prizes, best suited for those not cut out for a four-year degree. That's one reason, right? We're not attracting those kinds of kids into this workforce. So that, that's a challenge too. And the skilled labor is hard to find. That definitely makes sense. It also seems to be very relevant to what people are calling the great resignation that's currently happening among much of our workforce. So that lack of skilled labor force is leading to major supply and demand issues. I don't know if you've ever done like construction or remodels you know, recently, but if you want to find somebody, it's hard. They'll say, yeah, we'll get it done in a month, but it takes them months to get it done because it's hard to keep those people you know, engaged and on site. But big construction projects, like a third of the time on the construction site is just spent waiting for information or material or equipment. Imagine if you had engineering construction all under the same roof. That would be a great benefit. You know, If you had a question for the engineer, you could walk upstairs and go talk to them. Other than the labor force issue, are there any other major reasons modular construction might be more appealing? Here in Southern California, we have great weather, right? You can build houses all year round, but in many places, you know, it rains and it's get cold weather and it's frigid temperatures and, and it can cause construction delays, right? And then with regulations now, you know, they want these construction companies to kind of clean up their act. They want to produce, produce less pollution and less waste. Even like communities are saying, you know, we don't want dust and noise and light pollution. You need to be sensitive to those communities as well. I think there's just a feeling that we've been building houses for the same way for you know decades. And it, we're not going to achieve new efficiencies without changing the way we, we do things. How do you see modular construction being able to address those specific issues that you've pointed out? One of the quick and obvious ones is that it's faster. Today, you have to grade the site, you've got to pour concrete, then you build on top of it. Well, modular construction, you can start building before the you know, site is even prepared. You can work in parallel. So site preparation and construction of the building happen in parallel. You also are working in a perfect controlled environment, ideal working conditions where you know, your tools are right there, the equipment's right there, your materials are right there under a roof so your wood's not getting wet, your equipment's not getting packed, it doesn't have to get packed up in your truck and transported every day back and forth. So that's a, a, a big benefit. Definitely. 
I can see how that would also go back to what you've emphasized in our previous episodes about collaboration between the various disciplines. What other issues can be addressed? The quality is, is, is typically better because you, you are manufacturing in this kind of perfect environment. And you also, the quality has to be good enough that you can actually take this room, this module, pick it up with a crane, put it on a truck, drive it across or put it on a boat, float it across the, the, the ocean and, and then assemble it again. And so it's got to be sturdy enough to do that, which is means it's pretty well built quality. So that's another benefit. And what about in regard to those issues you've identified with the workforce? It's hard to find somebody who can do everything that can do like drywall one day and rebar another day and concrete or framing. And they're expensive to find and and hard to retain, too, because they're in such high demand. And so with the construction production line, you could say, okay, I need to hire somebody. This is your job on the construction line. He's got one job and he does it every day. And so because he's doing it every day, the quality is good, too, because he's the professional at that one task. It's easier to train him and the quality gets better, too. So but the one that I think for a construction worker put yourself in their shoes and says, okay, I'm driving all over to different places, locations throughout my city or my state, you know, working at all different locations. Imagine if you could just buy a home close to where you work, drive to your work within a short commute, not have to work in the heat of the sun or in the cold of the weather and be working in a temperature controlled facility. How nice would that be, right? How much would your job satisfaction go up? How much, you know, more would you be able to attract new employees? So not only is it a place where you're able to double down and really hone your skill set, it's also a much more stable, predictable job for those employees. Derek, you've explained how modular design may be a solution to many of the issues plaguing the AEC industry today. But I'm curious to know how the digital twin actually fits into all of this. The digital twin, you know, starts back in the in in engineering, right? And today it's kind of starts in engineering. So you have the design that data goes all the way through to construction, right? One of the the big benefits like we talked about is that uh, the digital twin can all occur in one building, basically. The design and construction is all in one facility. So it really helps so that when you have an issue on the site floor, in the construct, on the factory floor, you can walk down there, show the engineer what's going on and say, this is why your design stinks, right? And then they could say, oh yeah, 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 I didn't didn't catch that. And so then they could go back and make immediately make a change. Typically in a typical process, they would just make that change on site the, the designer would never know about it. This next design would have the same mistake again. You, you would never find that. And so this helps with that loopback structure for the digital twin to improve that. Can you tell us a bit about what those modular construction assembly lines look like? How do they function? They vary wildly. The very high-end ones, right, that some of the ones they're building now, you know, they're highly automated with robots and CNC machines. You can see them like, you know, seeing robots welding steel cages, you're cutting and sawing and, um, you know, nailing and things like that. So you look at it and you're like, wow, this really is kind of like an automotive assembly line. But some modular construction companies have simply just kind of moved construction off site, right? It's just 
I'm still building traditionally with a hammer and a wrench and, you know, a nail gun and ladders, climbing up the ladders. And so you haven't really changed the process, right, or innovated the process. You've just moved it inside, which has benefits, right? We talked about some of the benefits of being constructing inside, but it's not like you want to achieve like, you know, productivity goals like you see in automotive industry. You need to change how you change the process. You need to automate these things. That definitely makes sense from a productivity standpoint. What can you tell us about the variations of modular buildings? There's two types of modular buildings. Typically, they're panelized and volumetric. Panelized construction is kind of like, I don't know, like assembling like Ikea furniture. You get a box and it's got all the pieces together and then you build it in your house, right? You didn't have to drill the holes. You didn't have to assemble the hardware and find all the hardware. It kind of came to you all packaged up, right? And so it's much easier to put together IKEA furniture than build it from scratch. So that's kind of like panelized construction. The walls already have outlets and conduits and plumbing already inside of it. You just have to connect them on site. Volumetric construction is where you kind of manufacture the entire room or part of a building, right? It's typically they're about the size of a shipping container because that's what can get transported on roads and ships and things like that. But in both cases, you know, these panels or modules are transported to the site on trucks. They're unloaded by cranes and then workers connect all the modular pieces together. Which would you say is preferable, panelized or volumetric? Why would someone choose one over the other? Panels are nice because they collapse down flat, right? So it's cheaper to ship but it also takes longer to assemble on site. You can imagine these panels get assembled on site. If it's raining there, they're out in the rain, kind of, you know, connecting all these things up together. They're getting wet and they have to deal with that, right? Volumetric modules are are faster to assemble. You, You just deliver them on site, you place them next to each other. And with volumetric modules, you can have it almost 90% complete. Um, Some are shooting for like 95% complete. So literally you put it down, you connect it to electricity and you feel like you're already in like a bedroom or a hotel room. Yeah. And it's got carpet, it's got wall treatments, it's got furniture, it's got plumbing, everything is already hooked up. So you can deliver it more like on site. So there's benefits like volumetric modules are great for restrooms and kitchens and stuff like that. But panels can be good for bedrooms and living rooms and And some companies are kind of saying, well, let's use the best of both worlds, right? We'll do panelized for the bedrooms and then we'll do volumetric for the bathrooms. And you see that a lot lot in hotels today. Actually, a lot of hotels, when you go to assemble it, they actually have the whole bathroom in one piece and they just drop it in during construction. Wow, that's pretty crazy. So it seems like there's definitely a method and efficiency to it, unlike any other type of construction. Modular construction seems like it just may be the way of the future for AEC companies. Can you tell us about any Siemens customers, in particular in the modular construction sphere? One of them that I'm familiar with is Max Bugu. They have a modular construction facility just north of Munich. They've been doing it for a while now. Back in 2017, 2018 timeframe, they wanted to invest in a plant for serial production of modules for like multi-story residential construction. The room modules, you know, you can stack them. And I was there and I was like, how high can you stack them? They're like, ah, like six, seven stories high. So you can stack these things on top of each other like Legos and they're self-supporting, right? You don't need to have an exterior frame to support the weight. They, they, They have that support built within them. 
And then they have like all kinds of different layouts and configurations. That sounds pretty incredible. What do those modules actually look like in a real world setting? They're all about the same size, but some will have a wall missing here or cut out here. or They're just lots of different modules to, to choose from, but all kind of the same size. So when I went to go visit them, it's just like a production line. There's 16 different stations. Each module stays at each station for 60 minutes, right? And then it moves to the next one. Sounds a lot like, you know, a production line, like an automotive production line. Modules are delivered on site and assembled on site. These particular ones are about 80% fabricated. So you'd still put like the flooring in and some wall treatments and things like that. But, you know, that it dramatically shortens the time needed. And, and when you go to on site, it's, you know, it's all inside. Because they're using standard modules, they're able to kind of like put them together in different ways. It was, you know, fascinating to kind of to see, you know, some of them like, you know, have like one wall missing or two walls missing. And so they actually had on site an example of one of them. It, it was pretty cool. It comes all pre-assembled. It's got like the sinks and the walls. And it's one of the reasons why they chose our software is because these particular things had requirements for concrete. It had requirements for electrical and plumbing. And then they wanted documented. And then they wanted to run right down to CNC. And so they needed, they wanted a tool to do all of this. And, you know, the current set of tools that were kind of all kind of disparate, they couldn't go fast enough. And so they really relied on our software to, to deliver it. One of the customers, let's say a quote from him said, uh, Max Bugle selected Siemens tools because they could not achieve their efficiency goals with other AC tools. It sounds like it's a very comprehensive system in terms of addressing that collaboration between disciplines. Yeah, so it was the integration between all the different tools that was the big benefit instead of kind of designing in one system and throwing the electrical stuff over the wall and designing the plumbing in another system, throwing that over the wall. You know, they designed all in context of each other and made changes in context of each other. So were you able to see any examples of the finished product? How did it all come together? Yeah, they decided to build their whole headquarters using this system. It was in the process of being built, so I haven't seen that yet. But they, that was the, the goal was to that they were going to design their new headquarters using this. But they did have one on site and it was like a kind of two story office building. I kind of thought like, oh, you'd go in there and I'd be able to say, oh, here's where one module ends and here's where the other one begins. And this is how they connect together. I kept looking around kind of trying to imagine like, OK, where's one stop and where's one start? And I couldn't figure it out. It, you can stack these things in different ways. They don't have to be perfectly lined up right on top of each other. They can stack perpendicular to each other. And it was really fantastic. And I think that's one of the challenges that like a lot of architects kind of think like, oh, I don't want to do modular construction because I can't be creative enough, right? It's going to be boxy. But what they're, what they're finding is those who are embracing it find the opposite. I mean, a lot of the times with homes, you know, the exterior is just a little bit different. They put up bricks instead of rock or stucco or something like that. And so you're really able to achieve a lot of flexibility in the way it looks. And then inside, you know, I found that it was, you know, and I think their finding is that, you know, you really can be pretty creative and get the benefits of the modular construction, but also have the creativity to kind of design something unique and custom for their customers. To be able to have that level of creative freedom while prioritizing productivity must be a huge draw. I'm sure they were pleased with that aspect. What other feedback have you heard? The process they set up, you know, they're really on the, the forefront of this, right? One of the associate partners from Porsche Consulting came out and looked at this production line 
that I saw, and they said the Max module concept is revolutionary. It combines standardization, individualization, and industrialization in a single product for construction sites at a uniquely high level of quality. So they're getting noticed, right? And, and you're gonna see more and more people like embracing modular design. So it sounds like modular design may have some very real effects on the current process of construction. What kind of impact do you see it making on the current U.S. housing crisis? It takes a long time to, to build houses or to convert like office space into like apartments and things like that. There, there's a lot of challenges to do that. You know, I was just at a town meeting and they were talking about like the governor of California says we need 606 I think he said at least 6 million new units in California. And he said, okay. And then he just distributed and said, every, you, my little town said, you need 6,000 units and you need 6,000 units. And, and he just kind of distributed and said, everybody, you need to take this on. But, and they're saying like, we don't have the road infrastructures. We don't have everything. It's really challenging to, 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 to do this. Right. But as far as building them, they know they can be faster. Right. Like Max Boogle, I think on their site, they said they can build 20 units, can be ready for residents in just 90 days. You know, imagine being able to like say, I need 20 units and I can do it in 90 days. Or I can assemble uh, 10 working days, you can assemble, you know, 60 of these modules together. So you could build big apartment complexes as well. So I think you're going to hear more and more about modular design in the news and, you know, as a way to address the urgent housing market shortage. You know, I think urban planners are going to wake up and just say, okay, it's not going to get any better. We got to do something different. It seems like more recently, the construction process has reached extreme lengths. So I imagine that this could be a great solution to that problem. A company that does builds hotels, lots of hotels, a major hotel chain. And they were saying 10 years ago, it was you could build a, you know, a five-story hotel, like a typical five-story hotel room, uh, hotel in about you know, 10 months. And he said, now it's twice as long. It's just math. There's half as many people to build, so it's taking twice as long. And it's not getting any better. It's not like all of a sudden they're hiring a lot more people. It's going to get harder and harder. So just because of the workforce shortage, you're going to have to see a change. What are some of the barriers that you see that might prevent the large-scale adoption of modular construction? It takes a lot of capital to build like a, a facility like this. And so, okay, I build this facility, I, I can pump out these modules that look like this, right? After you get done with that project, maybe somebody else comes in and says, I want the modules to be a little bit different. Now you have to do all the retooling. Getting enough people to say, okay, this is what I wanna do and getting that like flow of orders coming in is, is hard. And every single time they wanna make a change, you know, it says, oh, I wanna do this instead of that. Innovation has to happen, right? And it's not like, the we're still learning, right, how to do it better. We don't have like CNC machines to run, you know, chop saws, you know, typically, right? So, okay, now we need to do that. So let's invent that, right? That's a big challenge, right, To just to do the innovation. Can you tell us about any other major issues you've identified? You know, I was surprised to hear about this is that I'd kind of been working with lots of companies in Germany and, and they hadn't really highlighted this issue, but here in the U.S., this is the local regulations and inspection is a, is a huge challenge. So you imagine like, okay, if, if I'm going to build modular houses, where are you going to build it? You're not going to go to like New York City where it's the most expensive to get labor, right? You, you go somewhere else where you got land is cheap and, the, and you know, it's easier to hire people and, 
and the cost of living is lower so that you can pay people, you know, a fair wage, but less. And let's say you say, okay, I'm going to build this modular house or modular construction in Mississippi. And then I'm just going to drive it across a straight line over to Florida. And then you say, okay, I'm going to install this in the Florida inspectors like, hold on, wait, 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 wait. I can't permit this. You know, how do I know that your electrical wiring's done right? The plumbing guy's like, yeah, how do I know your piping is correct? So that difference in state regulations sounds like a major issue. It's like, okay, please tear out that wall so I can see the electrical or the the plumbing. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We built it like this in a module, so it's not like easy to do that. And some companies are kind of like, oh, well, we'll build in little panels so that they can inspect them. But how do you do that for 50 states, right? 50 different states, 50 different regulations. It's just not sustainable. And so where you see modular being successful is places like where they have a big enough market to support it. So you see some in California, which is a big enough market to support it. You see it in Germany and in the the Nordic countries, you know, because there's higher acceptance and then you only have to meet one standard, right? And just sell within your own market. Well, it'll be interesting to see how hurdles like this are tackled going forward. Derek, looking to the future, what place do you see for modular construction? I have a friend who's in construction. He's like one of the managers over a a huge home builder. And he said, they're just watching and they're just waiting, right? And they they know we're at a tipping point and it's really close because they can't keep going the way they're they're going, but they also know that it's gonna be hard to make this change. And so they're just waiting for that tipping point. He's not sure when it's gonna happen, but it's close. We just don't have the workforce to do it. Danny Forster, Danny Forster and and Architects, he's been working to build modular hotels in New York and had this big project. The benefits on paper were there, right? It was really clear there was benefits to do this. He's working with Warren Buffett to kind of streamline some of those regulations and Warren Buffett was online, you know, on board to do that. But it was just, you know, in the end, they had a manufactured overseas, they got caught up into shipping, they got delayed at the port, and then everything, all the schedules kind of got thrown off because the, the modules weren't showing up in time. So it sounds like there's still some of those very practical issues to be sorted out. So on paper, it looked great. You kind of just throw your hands up and say, you know, one thing we can agree on is the way we build buildings today is dumb. This is from Danny Forrester. He says, it's not efficient. We have not innovated or improved in 100 years. I've heard other people just say like, I mean, honestly, what's really super innovative that's happened since the time of like the Romans built roads? There hasn't been so much innovation. We're kind of just kind of hit that wall where we need to really do something innovative just strictly because labor force, but then you're gonna see a lot of fringe benefits, you know, with improved quality and improved speed of construction. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time, I think. Will modular housing eventually be a more affordable option for consumers? Today, they're they're more expensive. On paper, it's supposed to be cheaper because you have a small site, you know, 100 feet by, you know, 75 feet or something like that. It's tiny. You know, where do you have laydown area? Where do you put your wood? Where do you put all your construction material if you're building a high rise in the middle of a, a city, right? Imagine if you just had a crane there and you're just delivering stuff on site and you're just stacking these modules on top of each other, you don't need that lay down area. So for situations like that, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. But then when you look at my friend who's got, you know, doing building houses here in Southern California, you can really almost set it up where it's like, okay, 
every day I'm going to have one house complete. And you, it's almost like an assembly line. You just, this house is done. This house is done. This house is done. And you just doing like, this is the task for this guy on this day. And then he does the same task the next day. They are able to simulate that pretty well in California. But uh, in other areas where you got remote locations and you don't have access to the workforce or you don't have good weather and things like that, it's going to be slower adoption, right? So it's not feasible today, like in my particular market where I live, but in other markets, it definitely, you're going to see there's a need and an adoption. Before we wrap up today, Derek, are there any other big innovations on the horizon that you'd like to tell us about? So this is uh, something that we're kind of excited about. Um, I've been working on it for a while, a new product that that's an add-on for, for NX. So our product NX is has traditionally served companies that do planes, trains, automobiles, you know, stuff like that. And lots of OEMs, like, you know, if you're designing a product for construction, there's a good chance that that product was designed using our software as well. So if you do door hinges or locks or formworks or form boards and stuff like that, it could have been designed using our software, right? That hasn't traditionally been used to actually design like our, the buildings itself, right? And so we've had several customers that said, hey, we do like electrical substation, right? And 95% of the stuff you see in the substation is all your product. It's all NX, right? But we also need a, we need a, a four wall building. That's it. So they're like, what do you got? And they're like, I got nothing. You know, you can design it using traditional tools. And he's like, no, that's not really what we want. Um, we really want, you know, something that's like to build buildings. We start hearing this over and over again. There's just this, a need. The guys who design like a, a missile, they also needed to redesign the missile silo. What do you use for that? And so this digital twin you'd kind of asked about, you want to capture all of that together, right? You don't want just like dispersed between lots of different tools. You'd love to have this digital twin in one integrated you know, environment. And so what we see is the need to have the ability to design a building in context of other things, right? And so uh, that's kind of our initial target market right now. We, we imagine engineering will come in and say, okay, we know we're going to have a digital twin. We know we want to have a building in context of you know, the other things. We can use this new product, Enix for BIM. And so it's getting released at the end of the year. Yeah, I'm super excited about releasing it. I'm excited to get feedback from our customers as well. Well, that sounds like it has great potential. Thanks so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you in this three-part series. Thank you again to Derek for sitting down and talking to us through the conclusion of our three-part series. Thanks also to our listeners for joining us today. Join us next time for more discussions about the latest in design innovation and software applications. I'm your host, Jennifer Piper, and this has been Next Generation Design. 